All right, good morning. We're going back into the Word today. Uh, we've been talking through, um, we had been doing 2 Corinthians. We finished that, and so now we're moving into kind of what we believe as a church. And um, so grab your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to keep moving. We are a church. We're Salt River Community Church. We're in Tempe, Arizona. Love for you to come hang out with us. You hit us up online. We'll tell you how to find us. You can contact us through social media in multiple different ways. Uh, you can email us. You can go to the website, all those good things. Uh, this is just me preaching the word in order for us to have a foundation to kind of go through when we come together tonight. So tonight we'll be talking through this text. If you have questions, uh, if you have uh, argument, I don't even care. We just want you to come hang out and, and work through the word together with us and we have some food and prayer, all that good stuff. So you're welcome to come tonight. Love for you to do that. Um, but let's jump into where we're heading today. We've been talking uh, just for a couple of weeks. Like I said, we're in this kind of pause and talking about what we believe or, or who we are. Last week, we talked about salvation and baptism. Uh, I won't go back over that. You can watch the video or come tonight if you have more questions. And then today, we're going to talk about the church, what we mean by that. And then next week will be mission, what our mission is. Uh, which is making disciples. So today, who are we regarding the truth, you know, who or the church, excuse me, and, and I'm calling this the truth about organized religion, the truth about organized religion. You, you, you want to know what it is? That's where we're going today. And we're going to keep it kind of practical and to the point. I'm going to share several scriptures with you. And I really, I just want you to think about them uh, just think about what they say very plainly. What do they just outright say? And then I want you to think about where you are in relation to what they say and how you should be responding to what they say, okay? So today we're going to read First Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 14. I'll read a few verses here. It says, I hope to come to you soon, Paul says to Timothy, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress or foundation of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was, excuse me, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Amen to that. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. It's awesome. I pray today as we unpack it that you're glorified in what your word says and those who hear it. Help us be faithful to teach it, preach it, deliver it to all those uh, that you give us the opportunity to do so. In Christ's name, amen. So I remember uh, after I gave my life fully to Christ, um, surrendered to the, to the call to ministry many years ago, in the early 2000s, I was in a band for a bit of time, a hard rock Christian band, and we'd go around uh, doing inner city kind of events and, and concerts and different things and then sharing the gospel and, and and doing that kind of thing. And the church that we were coming out of was a Baptist church in Tennessee, and they gave us a, a white, an old white van that we got to use. And, and I remember one of the first things that we did is we, when we got that van, is we scrubbed that Baptist church name, that old faded blue typed out Baptist church name off the side of that white van. Now, we didn't hate our church. We loved the church. We just didn't want people seeing that and judging us that we belong to a particular religious organization. 
before we even had a chance. We, we didn't want that. And many people feel this way, especially the more edgy, I'll call them Christians. For instance, there's uh, Brian Welch, who's famous uh, guitar player for a hard rock metal band called Korn. That's anything but Christian, but they... Uh, he's in that band and, and he shares the gospel. He uses it, he says, as a platform and he does share the gospel after events with, with people and things like that. But he's also constantly stating that he's all about Jesus, but he's anti-organized religion. And this is the same attitude that's produced this massive parachurch movement that's out there, um, and exists today. But is that the truth? Do, do we throw out church because it gets defined as organized religion? And, and for that matter, is organized religion wrong? Why do we see it as a problem? So you ever stop and back up and ask yourself that question? If you think it's a problem, why do you think it's a problem? It's a danger of theft and corruption, man. Somebody can steal from us. Keep in mind, by the way, that happened even among Jesus' own disciples. Just saying. Uh, having to... Compromise on ministry or spending or direction. I, I just want to give my money to the poor. I don't want to give it to the people in Africa or whatever it is. You know, you've got to compromise now. Having to uh, deal with authority. Man, I'm, nobody's in charge of me. I, I mean, nobody but Jesus is my boss. You know, having to, to fear maybe that as well or fear of judgment or being afraid of being held accountable. The, honest truth, these are all things that come with our perception of organized religion. According to Oxford Dictionary, listen to this, religion is belief in, belief in and worship of a supernatural human, superhuman controlling power, especially a personal god or gods. Man, I butchered reading that. <laughs> religion is the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal god or gods. Does that describe what you would say you do? The truth is that though you enter it by a relationship with Christ, yes, God's church is religion. It It is because by definition it's faith-based and it involves worshiping him. You know what I'm saying? And it is also organized because the God of the church has always directed his corporate worship to be that way. Always. And you're going to see that today. So I'm going to outline this with two simple questions. What is the church? Kind of the heart of the church. And why is the church? What's what's the message? That, that kind of thing. So what is the church? Kind of the, the heart of the church. What is it? Verse 14 and 15, he says in 1 Timothy 3. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may now, or excuse me, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress. Again, that's ground foundation of the truth. So what's the church? Well, here Paul calls it a household. In other places, Paul calls it the body of Christ. Uh, however, when we say church, we most frequently mean the local church, a local Church, can you have one without the other? The, the body of Christ, and, and listen, if you're a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus, okay, if you are a believer in Jesus, you put, you've been born again, you have put your faith in Him and entrust, confessed your sin, put your faith in Him, and 
what he accomplished on the cross, and as he himself defined it, you have his Holy Spirit in you, and you are born again. Okay, if that's occurred in your life, then you are part of the body of Christ. You are part of the church in that sense. But most frequently when we say the word church, we're talking about the local church. So in the context of that, can we have both? Can we have both? Better yet, can you have one without the other? Can you have a local church and a body of Christ that's not the same? I would argue no, even though a lot of people like to argue yes. We don't need this whole organized church thing over here. We're just the body of Christ. I would argue that's not biblical. And this is where that argument of organized religion comes from. And the truth is that the Bible is not anti-religion. It's not. In fact... In James 1.27, he speaks of pure religion that is undefiled and honors God. Specifically, the Bible is not anti-organization. It's not, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 14.33, just for one example, in the context of local worship in a, in a corporate church setting, Paul says that God is not a God of confusion, but a God of order. And there is order and structure that goes on there. The entire Bible is filled with ordered religion. The whole thing. And likewise, anything else in the world, yes, religion or otherwise, it can be abused. That's a fact, no doubt. But the abuse of something should never determine its value or its necessity. You understand what I'm saying? The abuse of something should never determine... It's a value or necessity. So whether it's a household or a body here, because Paul uses the term household, whether it's a household or a body, it has structure. A body is not just an eye over here and an ear over here and a tongue over here and teeth over here. It's when they all come together and they serve the whole so that the body functions when they come together. Not scattered all over the place. A household is not just scattered family around the world. A household is that family in a space. All right, so Paul says it's the household and the church of the living God. It's his possession of God. It's his. We are his. It's his church. He's not a feeling, by the way. This is cool to think about. He's not a feeling because it's his church and he's living. When Paul says living, he's saying not a feeling. He's not a statue. He's not nature, he's not energy, he's not a force, he's not the universe. He is living, just like we are living. We interact, not human, but he's alive. We interact. All right, and Paul says the church is a pillar and a foundation of truth. I uh, like the way MacArthur put it. He said, Paul's imagery may have referred to the magnificent temple of Diana, Artemis, in Ephesus, which was supported by 127 gold-plated marble pillars. The word translated ground appears only here in the New Testament and denotes the foundation on which a building rests. The church upholds the truth of God's revealed word. Amen. Truth, he says. You should be able to walk into a church and find the truth. If it is a church, you should be able to walk into it and find the truth, and that should be a foundation for you to build your life on. You know, and this is what's at the core of, of uh, that's why truth is at the core of our values. You know what I mean? It's, it's love, truth, mission. I mean, truth is, is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. You can't build anything outside of it. If the church is not organized, 
and you just come and go as you please, you know, how are you going to know what the truth is? How are you going to know? Oh, some say, well, you, you know, we just believe in Jesus and that's enough for us, man. We just believe Jesus is the truth and that's good enough. Hey, that sounds real good. Guess what? So do the demons. James 2.19 says demons do the same thing. I'm just saying. So, so we at Salt River, we affirm the Bible, the word of God is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus said, your word is truth. It's truth. And that is the foundation upon which we build. So this whole thing is the foundation upon which we build. That's the hope we offer people when they come to us. That's the conviction that we hand to people when they come to us, one that leads them to hope. One that leads them to forgiveness. Jesus is the God of the Bible and he called himself the truth in John 14, 6. I am truth. He said it, I am the truth. So yes, we do love and believe in Jesus, but it's his word that makes him known. You know what I'm saying? And it's his word that also defines how he wants his church to operate. So we're not pulling this because it was handed down from a hundred generations. We're pulling it because it's his word. Ephesians 2, verse 19, Paul wrote, You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, same language, but built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Do you hear these words? Building, structure, household, it's design. It's designed. It's not just random, hey, you know what? You're a believer. Go hug somebody. That's not it. God is not reckless. He's purposeful. And it's in order to guard his people so they're not drug away. If there's no organized religion, what keeps you? what's going to keep you locked in? Some say, well, I'll just follow Jesus, man. I'm No organized religion for me. So does that mean you only take the Gospels and then you throw the rest of it out? You only take the four Gospels and the rest of that book is worthless then, right? Okay, right? Is that what I'm supposed to understand? So you ignore that also that Jesus, that Jesus practiced Judaism and obeyed the law. That's pretty much structure. And you ignore that Jesus said in the Gospels he would build his church. Think about it now. What do I, what do I mean? Okay, well, let's just back up. I'm not going to go through this in... Uh, detail, but just picture it. Moses. Moses was given the law. Moses structured and organized the people. The people of Israel were organized into tribes. They even marched in organization. Uh, they had a temple that was designed by God down to the pins that went in the ground. And they were given rules on how they were allowed to interact and what 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 space they were allowed to be in within that temple. You had judges who governed the people uh, through God's through God who governed the people you had kings ultimately that came the kings weren't supposed to just do what they want go read Deuteronomy 17 they had rules and guidance and structure from God on how to rule the people you had prophets prophets couldn't just be just told anybody they had to hear from God they had to speak only what God said and they were held accountable to certain things even unto death if they were wrong priests the priests were structured out. Levites had responsibilities and rules, and you could only be a priest if you were a Levite. So if you were born of the tribe of Judah, you might be great, but you can't be a priest. 
And even if you were a priest, in order to be a high priest, you had to be a direct descendant of Aaron. So, so there's structure even there. And then it tells you what they were supposed to do in the temple with all these different things. I'm, I'm not going to all this. Go read it. It's in your Bible. Point being, it's all from God. Then you had the temple itself and the design of it. I just meant the tabernacle before when I was talking about Moses and them moving, but then it becomes a built temple in Jerusalem, modeled right after the tabernacle. But the temple had its structure and its purposes and its uses. Then you have apostles who are appointed by Jesus to begin his church. Those 12 apostles and those apostles make disciples. Not all disciples are apostles. You had uh, a church that was born and that church was structured and it had rules and organization. You have elders, you have pastors, you have deacons. Man, it goes on and on and on. All the way, that that's just coming up to Acts chapter 2. And then when you get into Acts chapter 2 and that church is born and those elders, pastors, deacons are kind of a sign, Paul begins to write letters to them and that's what the New Testament is about, following the Gospels and Acts. Romans is written to a church in Rome. Paul, these are all Paul's letters. First and Second Corinthians are written to a church in Corinth, a local church, not just, hey, pass it around everybody you think's a believer here. No. Galatians was written to a physical church in Galatia. Ephesians to a physical church in Ephesus. Philippians to a physical church in Philippi. Colossians to a physical church in Colossae. First and Second Thessalonians to a physical church in Thessaloniki or Thessalonica. First Timothy. And 2 Timothy was to the pastor of a church in Ephesus. Titus and Philemon, church leaders. Then you move out of Paul's letters into the general letters that were not necessarily, well, I'm not giving you Bible history, but we move on into these other letters that were also written to churches or church leaders. Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2 3rd John, they were all written to churches. Jude, all the churches. And then you come to Revelation. And Revelation was written to be distributed across seven churches, and he names them right up front, each one of them, physical churches. Even, guys, the angels are organized. Even the angels are organized. All right? And I'm not going into all of that, but I'm just saying it's in your Bible. Church in organized religion has always been there. Uh, Acts 15, let me just give you an example in verse 1. Here you have this. I'm not going to break this whole case down. I just want you to see what's going on structure-wise. Organized, quote, organized religion. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, because Paul's like, you're crazy, you're saved by grace. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So they are going to an authority in the church. Um, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers. See that? Brothers in local churches. They pass, didn't say they passed the brothers. They passed churches and talked to the brothers. All right, And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders who were there. 
And they declared all that God had done to them. Then this discussion kind of happens. Verse 6 says the apostles and elders are gathered together to consider, okay, what's the problem? What's going on? Let's work through this. Verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Now, I'm not going into the whole story because I'm not trying to focus on how this problem was addressed and solved. What I'm trying to focus on is the fact that there is an organized structure here of authority and church is the word. Paul addresses the elders of the Ephesian church in chapter 20 of Acts in verse 17. He writes now from uh, Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It's his church. He bought it with his own blood and he appointed people as overseers, deacon, pastor, or excuse me, pastor, overseer, elder to govern, lead, rule and care for that church. All right. So what qualifies one of those people? qualifies one of those leaders well that's what paul paul is talking about back in our text in first timothy chapter three that's what he's talking about look back at verse one just real quickly he says the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer elder pastor he desires a noble task it's a big deal therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife wife here by the way so the point is a man it doesn't say husband of one spouse uh and there's some dissension and argument about that i won't break all that down right now but i believe what he's saying here is you can't have a whole bunch of wives you get one all right sober-minded self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard not violent uh but gentle not quarrelsome not a lover of money he must manage his own household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive for if someone does not know how to manage his own household how's he going to care for god's church so there's that household church language again right but it's a people because he can't care for every christian on the whole planet this is one person assigned to one group of people clearly just like a husband or a father would be over one house he must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So if he's young in his faith, he might run so fast that he gets drugged into trouble. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. People need to respect him. Deacons, likewise. So this deacons, what, it, what, what a deacon is, is not an, a pastor. It's a separate thing. It's not an elder. It's something else. Deacon. Likewise, must be dignified. So in the same way, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Let them be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Doesn't mean perfect. It just means people aren't going to come out and say, no, but this guy, no, but this guy, no, but this guy. Their wives, likewise... So again, kind of language towards a male. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be husband of one wife. Same language, managing their children and their household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So deacons are described here similarly as having one wife, um, 
And there's debate over whether men and women can be pastors, although I don't think there should be. That's pretty crystal clear, and there's I'll come to that in a second. And then there's debate over men or women can be deacons. So uh, if we look at these roles, elder, pastor, and deacon, and we look at them from a leadership structure, understanding, listen to me, God's design. I'm not, I don't have time to unpack the whole word. Come tonight, and we can talk about it. Uh, understanding God's design and authority, right? then it allows us to consider a few things here. So, while the role of pastor, yes, I believe, is repeatedly imposed on men throughout the New Testament and modeled from the Old Testament, it is imposed on men. And that's because God's design for leadership in the home is the same as that in his church, his household. Uh, and that flows from him. He, it's not man, it's him. From him as leader to the man to the woman, to the children. And it goes backwards the other way. So before you get all defensive about that, understand accountability and responsibility goes back the other way from children to uh, wife to husband to him. All right? So in the church, I believe it's the same way. There's a lot there. But the word deacon just means servant. It's a different word. It just means servant. All right? And there's evidence in the Bible of at least one woman who was considered in some cases to be a deacon because she's called a servant in the New Testament, Phoebe, she's in Romans 16. So some would argue women can serve in a deacon role, but uh, regardless of where you stand on that, in, in our church, a pastor elder is a, is a man based on this text. But to be fair, um, all that taken into account, the organized religion and whatnot, the church is a relationship first. Yes, it is. And organized religion, more often than not, is abused... And that makes the church look shady and messed up. But Jesus calls the church his bride. And you ain't going to talk about my bride bad. And I'm just a guy. He's the creator of all things and he died for her. I once heard a pastor say, you know, she may look like Shrek, but she's still the bride of Christ. It's the truth. So really quick, the other one's fast. So what is the church? We just talked that through. Why, church? So what's the kind of the message? Look at verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now, this is likely a hymn here, this part. Um, he was, or some kind of jingle or song. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, Gentiles, believed on in the world. Not not everywhere in the world, but among out. Among the world, we'll, we'll get to that. Taken up in glory. So what defines the church? Godliness. Godliness. That's the hinge point word here. Godliness. Notice that godliness is tying church and gospel together. Because that's what this is a picture of, the gospel. So you're taking the gospel and you're tying the church together to it with Godliness, not traveling evangelists, not charity, nonprofit, not goodwill, not parachurch, and no, not cleanliness. <laughs> cleanliness is next to godliness, is not in the Bible, okay? Paul calls it a, a mystery here. When Paul uses that word, he uses it a few times. He's talking about something in the Old Testament that was previously unclear, but that's been made clear now. So what is it? In this context, the gospel. The gospel, something that was was in the Old Testament, but maybe cloudy, this clear now. We talked about it uh, last week, but Isaiah 53, great example. It's clearly about the gospel and about Jesus, but in Isaiah's time, when he wrote it, it might have been a lot more confusing. They would have 
never seen the cross in what he was saying. We can look back at it and see it describes it perfectly. So mystery made clear the gospel um, in the New Testament. And in fact, this is what's going on here, as I mentioned, is probably a hymn or a song or something that would have been easy for them to train others to hear it and to be able to share that message of the gospel. That's the point of the church. That's what define, what defines the church is the gospel. That's why the church, right there. That's why. Uh, he was, what is that, what is, let's break down what it says. He, God, was, and this is speaking of a point in time, was, not is, was, so this is not a general description of God. This is the gospel. This is something that occurred, okay? He was, manifested in the flesh. God became man. So what does that tell you about Jesus? God became man. Vindicated by the Spirit. That means his soul or spirit was sinless. It was sinless. Vindicated of all crime. There's no sin in him. Seen by angels. That means there were heavenly witnesses to him. Even demons testified, why are you here, son of God? Even demons recognized him. Proclaimed among the nations. The Gentiles spoke of him. He was believed in the world. That means he was there, there were believers beyond Israel, beyond his little spot. Believers spread out all over the place. He was taken up in glory. That means he ascended bodily into heaven. And look, that part is huge because the ascension means bodily, that he bodily rose into heaven. It means he had all authority to enter heaven on his own actions, based on his own merits. Therefore, his work is sufficient and effective for those who belong to him as well. And because he did it bodily, visually, because they watched him do it, having said he would return in the same way, we can know that he will come back and he'll bring his kingdom in completion into completion here on earth. We know it because he said so. The church displays that mystery. The church displays godliness The church illustrates the gospel and that kingdom of God. That's what the church does, which is also a very much organized kingdom. We're to be a light to the nations, just like Israel was, proclaiming the gospel globally. For Israel, they had a temple and a worship structure that the nations were to be drawn towards. For us, We have a church that has structure, and as part of that, we are sent to the nations to be a light among them as God's temple. We are a kingdom of priests, the New Testament says. Kingdom, priest, organization. We are to rule and reign in this kingdom in in, in future days when Christ does return, which again, rule and reign, organized, organized structure. So... How do we respond to this? Well, for one, stop apologizing for the church, okay? Stop it. Stop apologizing for the church. And I'm going to hold myself accountable to these things, too, because I've been this guy in the past and sometimes get tempted to now. Stop apologizing for the church. Stop arguing against the church. I'm talking to believers here. Stop organizing, I mean, arguing against church. And stop bashing organized religion. Because if you're in a church, you're part of one. But display it correctly. Two simple ways. Live godly lives. Model the gospel. 
live godly lives and model the gospel. That's it. So these last words there that I just reading, those last words of Paul to Timothy, they explain the gospel in the life of Christ. They display what Christ came and did. And those words, that gospel can change your life forever. If you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, right here is where you start that. He was all God. He chose to become all man. He was perfect. He rejected all sin in order to be perfect for you because you sin just like I sin and our sin results in death. But he came all man becoming all God or all God becoming all man to live a perfect life in order to die and face the death that we uh, all face. And he went to it on a cross in a horrific and terrible way, accepting on himself your sin and offering you his righteousness, his being right with God, making it available to you. It is accessed by faith. He rose from the dead three days later because death has no hold on him. And by faith in him, death has no hold on you either. So how do you access that faith? How, how do you, how do you, how do you get there? Look, can you, can you, I'm asking, can you admit who you are? I'm not telling you to. I'm asking you. Can you admit who you really are? Are you a sinner? Do you sin? Can you admit that? Do you believe in who he is? What does it say about him? Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe he lived? Do you believe it happened? Do you believe he died on a cross? Do you believe he rose from the dead? Do you believe that? Can you admit who you are? Do you believe who he is? And most importantly, can you trust what he accomplished to be enough for you? If you can... Tell him that and then hit us up because, my friend, you are born again. Lord, I love you. Your word is amazing. Thank you for the privilege of being in it and sharing it. I pray that you're glorified in our lives. Help us share the gospel and celebrate your church. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.